Okay, hi everyone. Um, hi. How, how is everyone doing? Good. Are you all surviving? Even gloom and all that stuff, but it's, it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, how many people are using headphones? So uh, what you should do, it turns out the best way to use headphones if you want to speak is to um, use the computer mic rather than the headphone mic. So you can um, have headphones on your head, but the computer Zoom works better with a computer mic rather than um, the headphone mic. So do you know how to do that? Does anyone not? Okay. Uh, Royce says he's good, but isolated. So... Um, Yes, um, I am scare-spirited, Tommy, but um, I'm thinking of being less scare-spirited as, um, as Shakespearean time passes in the course of the semester. This semester actually really feels like Shakespearean time um, in um, how much time seems to have passed how quickly. So um, it's, I've, I've arranged this all for you. Um, Royce, where are you? Royce says he's good, but isolated. He's also muted. Um, okay, so the way, t um, the way to... Um, <laughs> yes, Tommy, he absolutely looks like that. We've, we've said that many times. Go to the bottom left where there's the microphone and the mute. And um, there's an up arrow next to that. And you can select a microphone. So you should select your computer microphone. Okay, so, um, yes, tw it's just twice two months, nice. Um, so did that work, Sun Kyung? Okay, yes, he found it. Okay, so are we set or any other, um, any other technology questions that, that um, my generation can help your generation with? <laughs> okay, good. I can also help you uh, do your VHS if you, need, if you ever need that. Or your Betamax, even. All right. It does feel like twice two months. Um, let us get back to the play then. Uh, so, we talked about the um, announcement of the death of Fulvia. And Anthony's great question, where died she? We're in Act 1, Scene 2, Line 118. I'm wondering if it would be possible to get people to read aloud or if that's just going to be too awkward. Um, you know, we're, as I say, we're going to try to go through every line um, if it would be too awkward. But does someone want to um, uh, be the third messenger um, and then do Anthony's speech up until Ina Barbas comes in. So Nicole says he'll do it. Nicole, do you want to be Anthony or um, the third messenger? Okay, so we just need... All right, I'll be the third messenger. We'll try it this way because the third messenger only has um, the three lines, two and a half lines. So we are in Act 1, Scene 2 at line 124. Um, uh, and notice that... that Antony asks the messenger, what are you? Um, which is not probably um, easy to make too much of, um, but still it's a, it's a really interesting question. So what are you? 
And the third messenger immediately does tell him what's going on. He doesn't say this is stiff news. He simply says, Fulvia, thy wife is dead. And then Antony has that uh, great question, where died she? So now I'm the third messenger. In Sicyon, her length of illness with what else more serious importeth thee to know this bears and hands in the letter. So Antony. Forbear me. There's a great spirit gone. Thus did I desire it. What our contempts doth often hurl us. We wish it would, we wish it ours again. The present pleasure by revolution lowering does become the opposite of itself. She's good being gone. The hand could pluck her back that showed her on. I shoved must her on. This and shoved, shoved her on. Off. That her, oh, that shoved her on. Oh, that makes okay. I must from this enchanting queen break off. Ten thousand harms more than the ills I know. My, my idleness doth hatch. How now, Anabarbus? Okay, so um, an interesting um, moral observation. That is that um, as soon as she dies, he misses her. There's a great spirit gone. So he has, uh, Cleopatra's already interpret him as saying that he doesn't love Fulvia. Why did he marry Fulvia and not love her? So um, that's essentially what um, she and he have agreed on, that uh, he married someone he didn't love. And he says, thus did I desire it. So it was true. He wanted her dead. It makes his life easier. Now he can um, marry Cleopatra what our contempt doth often hurl from us. So with contempt, he hurled her away. We wish it ours again. So now that he succeeded, his wish succeeded. Now he wishes that he hadn't wished that. The present pleasure by revolution lowering does become the opposite of itself. That is that everything is always turning. Shakespeare loves that image like... Um, uh, the wheel is, um, the wheel has come full circle. I am here. Who says that? Anyone know? That's Edmund at the end of King Lear talking to Edgar. The wheel has come full circle. I am here. Notice that he's saying I am here, which is um, an interesting echo of what the King of France has said to Cordelia earlier on in the play, which is, thou losest here a better where to find. And then we also have the where died she that we were talking about last time. Um, so let me just say what I think, uh, why that question, where died she? why Shakespeare has characters ask that question on the report of someone's death. And I think what's going on is that when you die, where you go is into, for Shakespeare, who was pretty much an atheist, um, where you go is into nothingness. That is, there isn't a place that you are. There isn't um, there's very little talk of heaven in Shakespeare, and it's almost always rhetorical. There's very little talk of hell, and it's almost always rhetorical. It's true that the ghost in Hamlet tells us where you go after you die, but then Hamlet himself is going to, going to call death that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. 
That is that whatever the ghost says, it's not, it's Hamlet isn't um, believing him because the ghost would be a traveler um, back returning from that undiscovered country. So I think that that question, where died she or um, drowned, oh, where, or where did you die? You are a spirit, I know, where did you die? is a kind of last attempt through representational language, through language that's describing an action that someone has performed. It's a last attempt to locate them in the world, as though, as for a playwright or a poet or, a, or any kind of narrative writer, the narrative itself, the description, even if it's in the past, the description locates someone in a world, in our world. So here's the point of no return. Um, Fulvia dies or Ophelia drowns or um, Cordelia dies. And the person to whom that matters most tries for this last moment, this, this um, van at the vanishing point, tries to put that vanishing point in the world, even if only for another moment, that that's something Fulvia did. And there was a place where she did it in the same world as the world that the person hearing the report of death is hearing it. So where died she is the first hint of what Antony then says in his speech, which is that he now wishes her back. This hand, um, she's good being gone. This hand, the hand could pluck her back that shoved her on. I must from this enchanting queen break off. So who's the enchanting queen? Cleopatra. Yeah. I must from this enchanting queen break off. 10,000 arms more than the ills I know my idleness doth hatch. So I didn't know this stuff was happening. And look, as soon as the messengers come, here's what I heard. I've got to get away. How now? Enobarbus. So he calls for Enobarbus. Enobarbus enters. Um, so someone want to be Enobarbus? I'll pick someone at random if you don't volunteer. Okay, Yes. Um, Alex, you're in Barbus, and you can still be Antony Nicole, and um, I'll interrupt you in a bit. But, um, Ina Barbus, speak. What's your pleasure, sir? I must with haste from hence. Why then we kill all our women? We see how mortal an unkindness is to them if they suffer our departure, death the word. I must be gone. Under a compelling occasion that women die, it was pity to cast them away for nothing, though between them and a great cause they should be esteemed nothing. Cleopatra, catching but the least noise of this, dies instantly. I have seen her die twenty times upon far poorer moment. I do think there is metal in death which commits such loving act upon her, and she hath such a celerity in dying. Okay, so let's stop there. Great, thank you. Um, so... Why then we kill all our women? We see how mortal an unkindness is to them. Just paraphrase that, someone. Grace, it looks like you want to paraphrase it. 
I'm not sure. I okay. I thought I had a paraphrase, and then I wasn't certain about it. So, is it like like such a little thing will kill a woman, and like yeah, I don't like it's because he's kind of it. Kind of seems like he's talking a little bit about the wife that like hit like Antony's leaving her, but also that Antony is now leaving Cleopatra. Yeah, so but I I think that I think that's a great point, but the point is also by contrast. That is, um, and you're about to see that um, happen when when Antony does talk to Cleopatra about this. But the contrast is something like Ina Barbus doesn't yet know that Fulvia is dead, and um, so here is a woman who's actually died, uh, Fulvia, and then there's Ina Barbus who is parodying the excessive rhetoric of the, um, you could see it as sex as sexist, that is, that's what women are like, but I don't think the play is thinking of this as in a sexist manner. It's more an Alexandrian manner. Um, the, um, yeah, Tommy, you're right. Um, but it's, a, the little slight can affect them because they are, um, because Cleopatra is literally a drama queen. Um, and she really is a drama queen in, in the most literal possible sense. So we see how mortal an unkindness is to them is, well, we see how often they complain whenever we um, uh, in any way aren't paying them sufficient attention. So mortal obviously is an exaggeration. Um, that is, it's like, oh, I'm mortally wounded by the fact that um, you are asking me to do the dishes. And, um, but it's a word that is going to appear again in the play at the time of Cleopatra's death. Um, does anyone not know how she dies? Just raise your hands if you don't know. Okay, so you all know about the asp? All right. Um, so when the, um, person who brings her the asp, uh, the peasant who brings her the asp, um, warns her about it, um, what he says to her is that its bite is immortal, which is one of those typical Shakespearean mistakes that uh, you get a lot in the comedies, like Dogsbury um, in Much Ado About Nothing. And what um, what he means... Oh, I have to admit, Elisa. Okay. What he means by that is that the um, bite is mortal. So, like a mortal wound. But here it's, we see how mortal and unkindness is them. If they suffer a departure, death's the word. Which is to say, they're going to say, oh, this is death to me. It's the literal word, word that they will speak. Antony, I must be gone. Much simpler. Ina Barbus, well, under a compelling occasion, let women die. So let, but what, again, he doesn't mean um, what Antony has in fact literally just done, which is to let Fulvia die. He means let it happen. And he doesn't mean it in the third person imperative. It's not may women die. It's rather, um, okay, if that has to happen, let it under a compelling occasion. It were pity to cast them away for nothing. So if you were just leaving for no reason, that were a pity. But between a great between them and a great cause, they should be esteemed nothing. So if you have to go to Rome for a war against Pompey or something like that, the fact that the women want you to stay home shouldn't um, matter. So 
they are not nothing but should be esteemed nothing if there's more important man-like stuff to do. And then he keeps teasing Cleopatra catching, but the least noise of this dies instantly. And then we know it doesn't really mean dies because I've seen her die 20 times upon far poorer moment. So the first and most obvious um, meaning of that is that um, she has declared that she hasn't, at least 20 times she's declared that um, she's not going to survive some um, perceived insult on the part of Antony. Um, and then there's the um, uh, ribald meaning, which is what? Um, <laughs> what did you say, Elisa? Did you say sexual? Uh, Sorry, you didn't quite come through. Yeah, no, I'm on the cape and I have a bad connection, but clearly it's the sexual uh, meaning of to die, to reach orgasm. Right, yeah. Sex. Yeah. So the kids um, are shy about saying this, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. Um, um, oh, I see. Um, I'm not sure they would all be shy, but yeah, it's um, we we talked about this before. We are tapers too, and at our own cost, die, and um, the whole le petit mort um, idea. So, has Ina Barbus actually seen her? No, but um, presumably not. Um, but he, the point is he knows that she is, uh, very sexually active and, um, and so he's making a joke about the fact that she and Antony are, um, famous for having sexuality, having sex all the time and they don't deny it. Um, I mean, it's not something, they're not private about it. Um, their passion is is very much a public passion, which is the first thing we saw when Antony kisses her in public. Um, the nobleness of life is to do thus, and then he kisses her. Um, and now Ina Barbas is just making a, well, again, a Monty Python type joke about this. Well, your wife is a goer. Antony, however, is taking the um, idea that she's manipulative um, so Antony and, and Ina Barbas uh, pick up again, um, Nicole. Line one fifty-two. He is cunning past man's thought. She's Bar- cunning past yes. man's thought. Ina Barbas. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize. <clears throat> Alexa, no, her passions are made of nothing but the finest part of your love. We cannot call her winds and waters, sighs and, te- and tears. They are greater storms and tempests than almanacs can report. This cannot be cunning in love. But in her, if it be, she makes a shower of rain as well as Jove. So obviously... Would I never... Obvi- would obviously, I had never seen her? Oh, sir, you had then left unseen a wonderful piece of work, which not to be... Not to have been blessed with all would have discredited your travel. Okay, so stop there. Stop there. Um, so again, uh, what Ina Barbas is describing is um, just how histrionic she is. And um, so she can't be faking it. So, um, so, so the rhetoric here is, um, you know, you, you get immediately what's going on, but there's a particular thing that I want to point out to you about this, which is um, the um, 
Sorry, I just want to uh, write a note to myself so that I'll remember to point it out again later. Um, the, the logic of this here is um, that there's no way that she can be faking her histrionic attitude because only someone like Jove could do this intentionally. Do you see that? This cannot be cunning in her. If it be, she makes a shower of rain as well as Jove. So Jove can decide that it's time for a storm. Jove can decide that it's going to be um, a shower of rain, that it's going to be tremendous. But that's beyond human will, hu um, the hu human um, power to voluntarily do this. No human could have that power. That's Ina Barbas's joke about how histrionic she is. And the joke basically is you have to believe that um, this is... Um, out of her control because no human being could have this kind of control over the sighs and tears that come out of her like a tempest. So that idea, which is just, you know, funny on Ina Barbas's part, um, he's cracking a joke. It's a good joke. Remember, he's the one who says um, our fortunes, mine and the rest of our fortunes tonight will be drunk to bed. Um, now he's cracking jokes with Antony because once again we're getting an odd clash in tonality here between Antony's tone, which is one of um, devastated, or that might be too strong a word, but one of, um, of mourning and... Um, uh, um, relinquishment of the shallowness that he is now thinking Alexandrian life is like. And so his tone is a understated and grim tone against Ina Barbas, who doesn't get yet that things are really bad for Antony and um, that he means what he's saying. And Ina Barbas isn't trying to cheer him up. He's just cracking jokes with him. Um, he doesn't yet know that Antony needs cheering up. So we've already seen that clash of tones between the soothsayer and uh, Cleopatra's women. Now we get um, a clash, not of the same tones, but again, a clash of tones between two different characters. And that's, I think, an amazing thing that Shakespeare is doing here, um, producing a clash of tones where the idea of a scene in general is that characters are playing the same game when they're in a scene together, that any scene is one in which there's no surprise in the... Um, uh, neither character is surprised by the other's tone. Um, I can't offhand, I must be wrong, but I can't offhand think of a play in Shakespeare where characters are using different tones because they don't realize what's at stake in the scene at the beginning of the scene. So if you, if you have examples, that would be great. Um, but I think this is something that's really striking in Antony and Cleopatra. And so he, and um, here again, we're about to see what happens when Ina Barbas actually gets um, why his tone was wrong. So um, he says, if you hadn't come here, you would have um, you wouldn't have seen one of the wonders of the world, basically. Um, 
All right, so what about Macduff and Malcolm's conversation about whether Malcolm can be king of, of Scotland, uh, asks Cassie. Um, I think that Malcolm, that, that if it's a test, it's not a clash of tones. That is to say that um, Malcolm is setting the tone for the scene, which is, um, you shouldn't count on me, and Macduff is arguing with him, but they both are, um, they both know that that's what the stakes of their discussion. Where, and then it turns out that Malcolm is testing Macduff, and um, then and Macduff has gotten Malcolm wrong, but he's gotten Malcolm wrong because Malcolm wants him to get him wrong. Um, it could be that there's a little bit of it a little bit after that when Macduff is so floored by the report of the death of his wife and babes, and um, Malcolm is a little bit impatient for him to get over it. And But still, that's not... That's not quite a clash of tones. It's a clash of, um, uh, it's a conflict about what, you know, minor, minor conflict, but every discussion is conflict. Um, even our slight disagreement here. Um, it's a minor, minor conflict about what the right emotional response is. What's happening here is not a conflict about the right emotional response. It's that each of them are in a different, in a different mood and um, they, the more serious person recognizes that the less serious person doesn't recognize the more serious mood that the more serious person is in, the soothsayer or Antony in this case, and um, is trying to convey, trying to use the mood as a way of... Um, of 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 conveying that seriousness. So just um, Grace says, "What about the beginning of the scene between Juliet and the nurse after Tybalt's death?" Yeah, I think that, I think that's a that's a nice uh, forerunner of that. And then Emery says, "This might be wrong, but what about the interaction between Hamlet and Ophelia when Ophelia didn't know what Hamlet was pretending?" Um, so I don't think that. Maybe a way to put it is this. I, I think those, those are good. Um, I think maybe a way to put it is this, that there is a kind of scene, and maybe those are good examples of it, where the more serious person is trying to um, convey to the less serious person who doesn't recognize that things are now serious, trying to convey to the less serious person um, that things are serious and that that's where you get this kind of um, distinction in tones. And um, with the soothsayer, the amazing thing about that, which is the first of, of, those, of those scenes in Anne and Cleopatra, is that the more serious person loses. And um, that is surprising that first off, it's not clear that the tones, um, first off, it's rare that you get this clash of tones. And then it's really rare that what looks like the more serious tone doesn't um, win out. Um, maybe Ophelia has the more serious tone, but I don't think so. I think she's, um, she's not thinking of Hamlet as not getting uh, 
how upset she is. She's pissed off at him because he doesn't seem to care, but she's not thinking of him as now getting it. But at any rate, I think those are, those are good examples. But here what you have is, I mean, think about how the audience is responding to this, which is that, um, you know, Barbas is um, cracking jokes when we know Antony's feeling devastated. And um, the jokes that he's cracking, they're not like the fool. Um, the jokes that he's cracking here are um, awkward. We're going to see how awkward he's going to feel when he finds out what happens. So, um, Antony, go pick up from there. Ovia is dead. Sir? Ovia is dead. Ovia? Dead. Okay, so stop. Wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. Um, so I think that's an amazing interchange. That is that um, Antony says very simply, Fulvia is dead and Enobarbus is, is himself stopped dead in his tracks. Sir, he can't believe it. Um, he can't believe that this is what he is now hearing um, from, uh, uh, fr- from Antony. And Antony just repeats it. Fulvia is dead. Fulvia, dead. So I think that's, um, that's a pretty strong piece of microscopic writing on Shakespeare's part. That is, it's not, so, so generally what happens in any speech is that um, in a, one of the things that happens in any speech in addition to its being um, a move in a game is that it conveys information. And uh, the information um, that it conveys in when you get when you tell another character information, um, the audience gets information. Also, sometimes the information is new, like when a messenger comes in and says Fulvia is dead, and then we know that Fulvia is dead as well. Sometimes the only information that the audience is getting is that another character is now up to speed. Namely, here we already know Fulvia is dead. Now Ina Barbus is up to speed on her death. And um, efficiency would then mean you go to the next moment, but instead you have Ina Barbus floored by the news. And it takes him two beats to absorb it. And um, one thing that tells you is about their friendship, that Ina Barbus here, he's going to be Horatio to Antony's Hamlet. And um, this is, um, uh, I hope you can feel a resonance here with um, the scene in Macbeth when the witches tell Banquo and Macbeth, um, give them the information that they're getting. That is, the witches are kind of like the messenger here, only in the sense that they are giving the main character and his best friend really important information for their future. Now the messenger has given Antony really important information and he is sharing it with Enobarbus. Enobarbus is the first person he shares it with. Uh, You could imagine a lesser playwright having the first person he shares it with be Cleopatra. But no. It's first there's that friendship. So you could think a little bit of Hamlet, Horatio, Ophelia as um, uh, congruent 
with Antony, um, Enobarbus, Cleopatra. Obviously, Cleopatra is an infinitely more important character than Ophelia, and Ophelia is infinitely important, so that's saying a lot. Um, but um, you can also see that that uh, not it's not a triangle in in the in the sense of love, but it is a triangle in the sense of relationship. Um, and then Enobarbus recovers. So Enobarbus, go on. Why, sir, give the gods a thankful sacrifice when it when it pleaseth their deities to take the wife of a man from him? It shows to them to man the tailors of the earth. Come comforting therein that when old robes are worn out there are members to make new if there were no more women but fulvia then you indeed a cut then you have then you then had you indeed a cut and the case to be lamented this grief is crowned with consolation your old smock brings forth a new petticoat and indeed the tears live in an onion that should water this sorrow thank you thank you i like that you said tears rather than tears so you were thinking of the um, you were you were thinking of clothing being torn, um, but in fact it's tears because onions make you cry when you cut them. Um, do you guys have that experience? I think they bred that. Um, they've done a pretty good job of breeding that out of onions. But um, has any of you ever cried chopping onions? Yeah, it's such a sad thing to do. Um, so the tears live in an onion that should water this sorrow means. Um, yeah, you can get fake tears if you need to by, as actors sometimes do on stage. Um, do you know this? This is an actor's trick, is to have a little piece of onion if they have to produce tears on demand. Um, maybe you'll learn about it if you do bada, um, if you do the thing that Eunice was uh, suggesting. Um, so here's a little bit of a joke about an, about an actor's trick. Okay, so... Um, Let's, let's look at the jokes that he's making now. Fulvia is dead. First he's floored. Then he's immediately maybe a little bit like the fool in King Lear trying to outjest his heart-struck injuries, which is um, the way the fool is described um, at, with Lear on the heath, that he labors in his little world of man. Um, no, I'm sorry, that's not the fool who does, but it's that the fool um, is trying to outjest his heart-struck injuries. So um, their deities, what does that mean? Why that phrase? When it pleases... Because it's like polytheistic. Okay, why there? Oh, um, the Egyptian deities versus the Roman ones? Um, no, because it would have been a Roman deity who took um, who, who took Fulvia. I just want to say, this is, it's totally unimportant, but I just want to uh, just, this is again um to quote um um the great ordinary language philosopher J.L. Austin, we are flushing the coverts of the microglot. What does that mean? It means that we are looking at microscopic effects in Shakespeare that um there's nothing is lost if you don't notice it, but something is gained if you do. So this is an echo of vex not his prescience. That is, it's just a kind of joking way of using formal language with an abstraction. So your majesty, his grace, her highness, those are all abstract nouns, majesty, grace, highness, um, which um, are follow a possessive pronoun, 
his, your, her. And um, the the aunt and Cleopatra joke of that is his prescience. Um, some of you uh, may have heard the insult, his nibs, about a fussy person. You would say, um, oh, his nibs doesn't like the fact that, I don't know, um, uh, that, that, the, that there's seagull shit at the next um, uh, picnic table. Um, so his prescience, or their deities, it's like your majesty. So their deities is also a little bit making fun of the gods. That's telling you um, that, it's, that um, he's immediately recurred to his joking mode. So it shows to man the tailors of the earth. So the gods are the tailors of the earth, comforting therein that when old robes are worn out, so who's the old robe? Anyone? Fulvia. Fulvia. So that when old robes are worn out, there are members to make new. So what member is um, he referring to? Cleopatra. Um, so that's what he's referring to literally. And what is the body joke here? It's a sex joke about making babies. No, it's a sex joke about if you have a good member, you'll um, uh, you will find someone who will um, be attracted to you. So um, we men all have members, and wait, I think someone just one sec. Um, So Laura's coming in on my saying, we men all have members, and because we have members, there are women who will supply themselves as new robes for us. Dirty! Uh, Filthy! It, it's Shakespeare, it's not me. Body. It's Shakespeare. You want me to bodlerize it? Um, so uh, there are members to make new. If there are no women but Fulvia, then had you indeed a cut and the case to be lamented, so um, the cut would be something like um, uh, you would be wounded and also that um, the robe would be torn, would be cut without, um, without there being a new robe made of it. But there's an obscene pun also, which is... Um, it's the same pun in Twelfth Night. Anyone remember it? When Malvolio is looking at the letter that is allegedly from Olivia and he's checking out the handwriting. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy, for pointing that out. Um, people who took Shakespeare in the fall, what was the joke? And so Malvolio picks up the letter, says, yes, it really is Olivia's handwriting. Um, this is the way she writes um, uh, her letter C and U and T. And then and this is how she makes her her great P's. So the joke on great P's is um, uppercase P, as we have learned to call it. This is how she writes her uppercase P, but it also means this is um, when she really has to urinate. This is the way she does it. And um, the C-U-T is um, a horrible pun of the word fault. Yes, exactly. 
uh, that you forced us to listen to you explain at the beginning of King Lear. Um, yeah, so now um, I am inviting you to listen to my explanation of Cut. Um, it literally haunts you. I'm really sorry. Um, but it's important to King Lear. It's important to see that if you don't know that, you don't know that um, you don't know that Edgar is uh, not simply a pure character. Um, so Ina Barbus's joke is that then you once had a cut, but no longer. That is, you once had someone you could have sex with, but no longer. If there were no more women but Fulvia, then you then had you indeed a cut. In the same way that Antonio in The Merchant of Venice says, um, asks Bassanio to tell Portia to judge whether um, Bassanio did, did not, well, the way he puts it is, bid her judge whether he had not a friend. So it's the perfect tense, in this case, the pluperfect, the idea that it's over, that the word had means here. I had a friend, but no longer. I, you once had a cut, but if she's dead, you no longer have one. So, um, so this is a pretty obscene joke for Enobarbus to be making right after Antony hears that his wife has died. He says, this grief is crowned with consolation. Your old smock brings forth a new petticoat. This is going back to the Taylor um, imagery. And in, indeed, the tears live an onion that should water this sorrow. And then Antony, again, is trying to get him to be serious. The business shift, sorry, Antony, go on. The business she hath broached in this in this state cannot endure my absence. And the business you have broached here cannot be without you, especially that of Cleopatra's, which wholly depends on your abode. Okay, so notice um, here even the footnote gives you the um, pun on broached, um, which means to um, to well, I'll let you read the footnote um, because I don't want to haunt Cassie anymore. Um, so go on. No more light answers. So, Letter so, officers. Sorry. Um, the business of Cleopatra's business there is also um, a, an obscene um, euphemism. That is, the Cleopatra's business depends on his being um, in her business, so to speak. Um, that of Cleopatra's, which wholly depends on your abode, on your being within her business. Um, okay, Anthony. No more light answers. So Let stop joking. Stop kidding what is what he's saying. Sorry? So no more light answers means stop kidding. Stop these jokes. Okay, go on. Uh, no more light answers. Let our officers have noticed what we would be purposed. I shall break the cause of our expedience to the queen and get her leave to part. For not alone the death of phobia with more urgent touches do strongly speak to us, but the letters too of many our contriving friends in Rome Petition us at home. Sextus Pompeius hath given the dare to Caesar and command the empire of the sea. Our slippery people, whose love is never linked to the deserver till his deserters are past, begin to throw Pompey the Great and all his dignities upon his son, who high in name and power, higher than 
higher than both in blood and life, stands up for the main soldier whose quality, going on the sides of the world, may danger, much as breeding, which, like the courser's hair, hath yet but life and not a serpent's poison. Say our pleasure. To such whose place is under us requires our quick remove from head. I shall Okay, great. So, um... Now he's getting serious and notice that he is taking himself as an example for how um, minds get changed over time, how people's opinions, um, people's commitments are never stable. So he said, I wanted Fulvia dead. Now I wish she were back because the revolution changes um, things and people are always changing their desires. Uh, the present pleasure by revolution lowering does become the opposite of itself. She's good being gone. And now um, the people are the same way. Our slippery people. Um, how many of you know Talking Heads? So do you know that song, Ari? Slippery People? I probably heard it, yeah. Yeah, it's, okay. It's Talking Heads song. Um, uh, our slippery people whose love is never linked to the deserver till his deserts are past begin to throw Pompey the Great and all his dignities upon his son. So people don't love those who deserve their love until they're gone or until the reason that they were loved um, it, it no longer obtains. So Antony has said that of himself and now he is um, saying it of the people as well. Um, so gotta get back to Rome because stuff is happening and um, I am neglecting it. Um, it's taking me two months to take these issues seriously. Um, okay, Act 1, Scene 3. Um, who wants to be Cleopatra and who wants to be Charmian? I will pick if you don't. Okay. <laughs> no, not cool. You're going to be Antony. You will be Antony yet. He's going to come in. So, Cleopatra. Uh, um, yes, go for it. Grace. Um, okay. And Charmian. Ari, good. Okay. Cleopatra, be good. All right, what do you think of that as a first line? Where is he? What's that going back to? Where did she die? Good. Yeah, it's more... There's going to be a lot of wares in this play. Um, enough that... Also, wasn't she... Sorry, wasn't she searching for Antony before, earlier in the play at some point? Yeah, and, well, she's... She, yeah, and then she um, she leaves. Uh, she, she, she isn't going to speak to him. She is... She says a Roman thought struck him, and uh, so... She is sulking um, and is uh, staying out of his sight. So now um, she hasn't seen him again since Act 1, Scene 1. Um, so where is he, Charmian? I did not see him since. See where he is, who's with him, what he does. I did not send you. If you, if you find him sad, say I'm dancing. If in mirth, report that I am sudden sick. Quick and return. So what does I did not send you mean? To not, that, say that, to yeah. not say that Cleopatra is asking after him. Right. So go find him. Um, I didn't ask you to. 
That is, um, uh, that's the that's the operative um, background that you need to know. So what she's doing here again, this is going to be just the lightest, most tactful foreshadowing of a much later message that she's going to send, um, which is um, again one that um, she's going to tell. This is a message that Mardian is going to deliver to Antony. And she's going to tell Mardian um, that uh, she didn't send that message, as you'll see. Um, okay, so, um, Charmian? Madam, methinks if you did love him dearly, you do not hold the message to enforce the like from him. What should I do? I do not. In each thing, give him way. Cross him nothing. That would teach us like a fool the way to lose him. Tempt him not so too far. I wish forbear. In time, we hate that which we often fear. Okay, so, so wait, wait, what did you say? Oh, but here comes Annie. Yeah. Okay, good. So notice here's a third version of a change in um, affection. In time, we hate that which we often fear. So the way, so Charmian is saying the way you are treating him is um, eventually going to make him turn against you. Um, but the exchange before that, I think, is just great. Um, Cleopatra, what should I do? I do not. That is, what am I doing? What, what am I doing? What am I not doing that I should be doing? Uh, she's very middle school. Um, and um, yeah, but she's middle school at the age of, of 40. So this is, uh, this is what you learn correctly in middle school. This is the right way to do it. Um, Charmian's advice in each thing give him way cross him and nothing does that sound like good advice to anyone always do what the other person wants and then they'll love you forever so if you need advice for how to live your um, lives your love lives from Aunt and Cleopatra um, in each thing give the other person way cross them and nothing not good advice um, and Cleopatra is exactly right. Thou teachest like a fool the way to lose him. And what does that tell us besides her, um, besides the fact that she is manipulative, which is, or cunning past man's thought, as Antony put it, um, what else does that tell us? Clearly she's manipulative. I did not send you if you find him. Um, sad, say I am dancing, if in mirth report that I am sudden sick. But what else is it telling you besides the fact that she's manipulative? Um, maybe it tells us that the reason she's um, not being like so subservient to him, and the re maybe when it seems like she's acting like a jerk, it's actually that she's just really in love with him and doesn't want to lose him ever. I think that's right. I think, I think that that teaches like a fool the way to lose him tells us that it really matters to her not to lose him. That is, those are words of love when you worry about losing someone. That means you love them. So this is the moment when um, we can see that everything about Cleopatra that you can um, uh, blame her for or um, think is um, manipulative or um, 
um, dishonest in her character comes out of the thing that most matters to her, which is not losing Antony, that it's Antony that she loves. And as, as I say, you're going to see her manipulative, being manipulative throughout the play, always remember this moment that what she does not want to do is to lose him. Um, okay, here comes Antony, Cleopatra. I'm sick and sullen. Antony. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to give my. To, I'm sorry to give breathing to my purpose. Help me away, dear Charmaine. I shall fall. It cannot be thus long. The sides of nature will not sustain it. Now, my dearest queen. Pray you stand farther from me. Who's she talking What's to? What's the matter? Wait, wait. Who's she talking to? Probably Antony. Yeah, she's basically pray you social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's the matter? I know by that same eye there's some good news. What, says the married woman, you may go? Would she had never given you leave to come? Let her not say tis I that keep you here. I have no power upon you. Hers you are. Okay, so stop there. So who's the married woman? Olvia. Yeah. So um, how does this compare to the previous scene? kind of similar in that she very clearly doesn't know that Fulvia is dead and it what she's saying is like kind of inappropriate if you know that Fulvia is dead exactly um so yeah Tommy says the same thing Fulvia again Cleopatra doesn't know the situation um so that in a way what Shakespeare has done is he's given us a um a warm-up for this situation where Antony has really really important um, a really life-changing fact um, that the person he's talking to doesn't know has happened to him. And we are now sensitized to that. So um, uh, she is saying these things which are, which are bitter, but, you know, but, but for the audience, there's, there's some fun in the, in, in the way she's insulting him. And we also know that she's doing it in order to get him to uh, to, uh, to try and say, no, 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 I love you. You know, don't worry about it all. And um, she's ranting. And, um, okay, so uh, pick up from there, Antony. And make sure to gosh, interrupt him, Cleopatra. Oh, no. never was their queen so mightily betrayed. Yet at the first I saw the treasons planted. Cleopatra. Why should I think you can be mine and true, though you in swearing shake the throned gods who have been false to Fulvia? Riotous madness to be entangled with those mouth-made vows which break themselves in swearing. Okay, so stop there for a second. Um, so uh, one thing that I want to point out is that Antony almost never addresses her as Cleopatra. He almost so this is I think there only there's only twice in the play that he does it. He uses the word Cleopatra when he's talking to others, but I think this is um, uh, one of two occasions, and it's really worth noticing the other one. One of two occasions where he says Cleopatra in the vocative. Everyone know that term? It's when you um, uh, address someone by name and then uh, go on. Um, in, in your usage. So our, probably our most, your generation's most common use of the vocative is 
something like bro. Um, like, bro, what are you talking about? Um, that's evocative use of bro. Um, so Cleopatra, but she interrupts him. And what is her, in, what, what um, is her analysis of why she was wrong to trust Antony? What does it mean to be entangled with those mouth-made vows which break themselves in swearing? That, like, clearly he, like, doesn't keep these, like, oaths because, like, he swore to be true to Fulvia and, like, yet here he is with Cleopatra. It kind of reminds me of Love's Labor's Lost when they're like, oh, we love you. And they're like, I don't believe you. Like, you swore that you would, like, do all this stuff and you're not doing that. Right. Yeah, so... so if if you're swearing that your previous oath um <laughs> no longer holds that shows how how much you value oaths um do you guys know who ann landers was dear abby at all familiar to you so ann landers and her twin sister abigail van buren were the two most famous advice columnists of the 20th century um and uh you know they're still like from dan savage to to uh debbie um people still give advice columnists but they were they were the best they were the greatest and a typical letter that that ann landers uh would um publish was someone would say oh i'm seeing this guy and he's married but he swore he's gonna leave his wife for me and i'm getting a little bit impatient but i should be patient shouldn't i because he really did swear that he was gonna um, leave his wife and divorce her and marry me uh, so what do you think her response was? Yeah, why not? Alex? Basically, just like, honey, no. Like, he's, he's, well, he was going to stay with his wife, so why would he stay with, why would he marry you? Why would he keep his vows to you? Yeah, why would you believe him? He's already demonstrated that he's a liar. So those are mouth-made um, vows which are breaking themselves and swearing is essentially what she would say. Okay, Anthony, go on. Most sweet queen. Nay, pray you seek no color for your going, but bid farewell and go. When you sued staying, then I then was the time for words. No going then. Eternity was in our lips and eyes, bliss in our brows bent. None are parts so poor but was a race of heaven. They are so still, or thou, the greatest soldier of the world, art turned a great the greatest liar. So that's actually a beautiful speech. That is, she knows he's going, she can tell. Um, and, um, she's gotten serious here and she's, this is her first great speech about what their love is like. Eternity was, there was no going then. There was the time, then was the time for words. We talked. There was no going then. You were going to stay forever. Eternity was in our lips and eyes, bliss in our brows bent. None our parts so poor, but was the race of heaven. But now you're going. Antony's still trying to get in a word edgewise. Um, and this is, again, something to notice here, that in lots of their conversations, one or the other will be ranting, and the other will be trying to get a word in edgewise. And um, this is symmetrical. It's... Um, Later on, you're going to see Antony rant and Cleopatra try to get a word in edgewise. So notice the structure of this scene as well. So, Antony, go on. How now, lady? 
I would I had thy inches, thou shouldst know there were a heart in Egypt. Hear me, queen. The strong necessity of time commands our service as a while, but my full heart remains in use with you. Our Italy shines over the civil swords. With, 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 with civil swords. Our Italy shines o'er with civil swords. That is their civil... Our Italy shines o'er with, with civil swords. Sextus Pompeius makes his approaches to the port of Rome. Equality of two domestic powers breeds scrupulous faction. The hated groan to, the hated groan to strength are newly grown to love. The condemned Pompey, rich in his father's honor, creeps apace into the hearts of such as have not thrived upon the present state. Whose numbers threaten, and quietness grown and quietness grown sick of rest, would purge by any desperate change. My more particular, and that which most with you should save my going, is Fulvia's death. Though age from folly could not give me freedom, it does from child childishness. Can Fulvia die? Okay, so stop there. Um, okay, just quickly notice that once again. We're getting um, information that tells us exactly what's going on in Italy. So um, very briefly, Cleopatra is a window character, and we're getting fuller information about uh, the Civil War in Italy. Um, and that information, again, is about how the wheel is always turning. The hated grown to strength are newly grown to love. Um, that is... Um, that that uh, the losers now that they're in power, um, the um, people are sucking up to them. Um, Pompey is um, creeps a pace into the hearts of such as as have not thrived upon the present state. So um, people who are doing badly under the present administration are now supporting um, this this uh, insurgent um, uh, person who's promising them things. And their numbers threaten, um, and quietness grown sick of rest would purge by any desperate change. If you have peacetime too long, people get antsy and want war. But here is why you really shouldn't worry. It's uh, this is why I have to go to Rome, but this is why you shouldn't worry that I'm going to Rome. That Fulvia is dead, and we've already been prepped for. Um, by Enobarbus for the sudden change of tone. That when Enobarbus says, um, Sir, and um, all the jokes he's been making, suddenly he drops. So now she gets this news. And her response, I think, is just amazing. Though age from folly could not give me freedom, it does from childishness. So I'm old. And I am still, what I was just doing now um, looks like folly. I was just, um, my, my uh, strong reaction is um, uh, just me acting like, how should I put it? Oh, I don't know, like a middle schooler. Um, so age from folly could not give me freedom, but it does from childishness. Now I'm not going to be, now I understand how important this is. The implication here is that Enobarbus actually is childish when he says the tears live in an onion that should water the sorrow. That Enobarbus doesn't get Antony quite as well as Cleopatra does. 
Um, later, you'll see a, a moment where he does get Antony better than Cleopatra does. Um, it's it's um, they each get slightly different aspects of Antony, but in this case, what you're getting is that Cleopatra really surprisingly understands how hard it must be for um, Antony for Fulvia to die, or at least he's she's thinking about that. Um, she's going to tease him again in a moment, but first she has these amazing lines. Um, Though H from Folly could not give me freedom, it does from childishness. Can Fulvia die? What do you think of that question? Can Fulvia die? Well, maybe like this is something like Anthony talked about, like regretting that she wished that he wished her dead, that mm-hmm. maybe like Cleopatra also had like a similar wish that like now is kind of fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But it it like I mean, I'd imagine it just like feels bad that it's like, oh, I wish this person dead and now they are dead. And like, how do you react to that when you have something to gain? OK, good. Um, Cassie. Yeah, I also think um, it seems pretty clear that Fulvia and Cleopatra are like not literally doubled because I don't I don't know if Fulvia ever shows up like physically. she's dead. So she's dead. Right. She's not going to show up. Um, but they are sort of doubled in like a symbolic sense where like Cleopatra and Antony and I think everyone else around them is very conscious of the fact that Cleopatra is occupying effectively the same space in Antony's life as Fulvia was before now. Um, so I think asking the question, can Fulvia die, is effectively also asking the question, can I die, which is obviously, like, important foreshadowing. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, is is your hand up, Alex? Alex. Well, I think it's also, I, I don't think that Fulvia can ever die because she will always be Anthony's first husband, first wife, first wife. Um, and so like the idea, Cleopatra will never be the first woman that Anthony said he loved. Fulvia will always be the first woman. Fulvia will always be the first wife, no matter in her death. He still made those vows to her first. Mm-hmm. And I think she can never die as long as their relationship lives. Because at least to Cleopatra, I think that she, she will always have in the back of her head, I'm number two. Even if Anthony did leave Fulvia for Cleopatra, I don't think, I don't think Cleopatra, I think she'll always be in the back of her head like, I'm number two. I'm the second person you made these vows for. You broke your vows when you met me, so would you break your vows when you meet someone else? I think the idea of Fulvia and the idea of their relationship will continue to live on in her head. Okay, um, good. To go to, go to um, uh, Tommy's question, um, is this another sexual reference as in can Fulvia die in the way I can? What I would say is that it's a counter-reference. That is that that is um, the, that that is the joke that Ina Barbus is making. And part of the con- part of the contrast here is um, that Cleopatra is responding in the opposite way from Ina Barbus. So it's it's kind of undoing the joke that Ina Barbus has made. Um, I think I, um, that, um, one way of, of, um, 
talking about the can fulvia die, which is close to, but not exactly what Alex was saying, but the way I, the way I understand it is that fulvia's presence in their lives has seemed something permanent. Um, it is the great fact that um, is interfering um, with Antony's being totally um, uh, with and for Cleopatra. And um, notice that it's another very unusual use of a verb um, in the ways that we've been talking about. Um, here, the unusual use of the verb is the verb die, to die, it seems like um, that's the one thing every living being can do, is die. There's a French proverb that um, the instant you are born, you are old enough to die. Um, and so the question, can Fulvia die, is um, a very... Um, just by itself, it's a very odd question because the obvious answer is yes, any living being can die. Um, but what it's telling you psychologically is that for Cleopatra, um, and she's speaking for both of them when she asked that question, um, Fulvia is an eternal fact of life, not something that can disappear. But also... Um, she gets that if Fulvia is not an eternal fact of life, then Antony must be in mourning for her in just the way Antony is already described when he has said, um, thus did I wish it, because he thought it was a wish that couldn't possibly come true. And now it does come true. Nicole. Um, I, is it also possible that by like making die this kind of um, active verb, verb like, there's this almost sense that Fulvia's death is kind of like the cause of Antony and Cleopatra's separation and the cause of Antony going back to Rome. And so by dying, Cleo, like Fulvia has this agency and has this control over like Antony and Cleopatra and over like the whole play, basically. Yeah, I think I think so. So it's not in it, it's not really going to be over the whole play, but it certainly is over. Um, it certainly sets the dominoes falling. That um, that any well-made play is um, once the first domino falls, they're all going to fall, even if it takes a while, um, and that's certainly the case. Okay, just um, give me one more minute, um, just to just to make clear the um, way Cleopatra is associating herself with Fulvia. Antony's response is, "She's dead, my queen, and that my queen is great." Look here in the letters, and at thy sovereign leisure, read the garboils she awaked, that is, the, the, um, uh, the, the, the commotions or the fights that she awaked, at the last best, see when and where she died. There we go again. And then Cleopatra is pissed at him for the way he's just responded and says, O oh, most false love, where be the sacred vials I should fill with sorrowful water? Now I see... I see in Fulvia's death how mine received shall be. So if ever you want to write foreshadowing, here's a good place to write it. Um, Antony is going to hear of Cleopatra's death 
And um, she is already saying, I see how you're going to respond to my death. Uh, the way you responded to her, that's the way you're going to think about me. So um, here she is. Well, Antony can do no right, but this is a very serious version of can, can do no right. Um, she's teasing him, um, but the teasing is both her re reverting to, to form, but also the teasing is a very serious kind of teasing. So, um, all right, we do not have class. You guys are good with um, the, the new vacation schedule, um, which means that there's no classes. I think it's Monday through Wednesday next week. Is that right? Um, does anyone know? <laughs> you didn't check? You haven't been reading your emails from Brandeis? Um, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right too. Um, yeah, that's right, says Hannah. Um, and uh, so does uh, Sophia. Okay, good. So um, I will see you next Friday and uh, we'll keep, keep going. Um, so uh, stand farther off from everyone that you interact with and stay healthy, everybody. And see you next Friday. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And I'm going to, I'll send a um, link to the meeting.